Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is so great to be here with you guys virtually this morning as we continue the series that Scott kicked off last week entitled Kingdom Come. And really the whole purpose of this series is to help us see that the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God is here on earth now. It is all around us. But to also remind us that our allegiance should be in this kingdom. The kingdom that the scriptures teach that will, that will never end, that will never be destroyed rather than the kingdoms of this world. But the title of my lesson this morning is Kingdom Identity. Kingdom Identity. So turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 13, verse 1 to 5. This is going to be our, our theme passage that we're going to be digging into together this morning. John chapter 13, verse 1 to 5. And, you know, I've been thinking about this word identity. And I can't help but think just how difficult it was for me to find my identity in high school. <laughs> you know, I think all of us in high school kind of went through that season of life where we're just figuring out, okay, what, who am I? What am I all about? And, uh, man, it was difficult for me in high school because I put my identity in these, in these different things, um, that weren't God. And I just was trying to figure it out, honestly. And one of the first things that I put my identity in was my clothes and what I wore. And, uh, this, this was who I am. Like, I thought that what I wore dictated who I was as a person. That if I wore something cool and that was in at the time, then that was, that was who I was. That I was cool. That I was in. And if I wore something not cool, then I'm not a cool, not a cool person. You know, I know it's as, it's so foolish and stuff, but that, that's how I thought. Um, and I really thought that what I wore was so, so vital to who I was. And I was looking on Facebook at some pictures of me in high school, and um, I found this one, and let me give you a little bit of warning that this was a very cringy picture, and just some context that I was going to, like, this banquet, um, for, because I was in band, and, um, and I was supposed to dress, dress nice and stuff, so this is what I wore, here's a picture of it, there I am, in all of my glory, um, and, <laughs> like, it's so cringy, I don't know why I always had my peace sign up, um, or, or whatever, but I just, I just knew that, man, I wore this, I look nice, and this, this is it, I, I made it, I am a cool person, I remember thinking that, that day, and I thought I was the stuff, and I remember posting that picture on, on, on Facebook, thinking like, oh man, all these cool people are gonna comment on, on this picture, and then so it's like, when I was looking at it this week, I, I saw the comments, and, uh, my grandma, she was the first one to comment, to comment on it. And then, uh, grandma Indonesian's Oma. Um, and then her comment was this. Let me share it with you guys. She said, nice picture, Chris. Oma likes it. <laughs> you know, so I was expecting that this is my identity. And I thought if people saw that I was looking nice, then people would comment and give me attention and stuff. And thank you, grandma. Thank you, Oma, for, <laughs> for loving me. But that's my clothes. That's where I put my identity. Uh, another thing I put my identity in was in music. Okay, I said earlier that I was in band. I was a, the captain of the drum line my senior year in high school. But I ate, I slept, I dreamed drums. That I was a musician first and foremost. That that was my identity. Um, so here's a picture of me in, in one of my drumline competitions. Had my costume and stuff, looking uh, looking like a like a weirdo thing. That was so cool with my weird face. <laughs> but uh, I thought I was. I thought it was cool, you know, because drum was drumming was my identity. I thought that that was who I was. That was a musician. I was a drummer, and that all I thought about. I was so consumed with drums, you know. And, and the reason why I share all this is 
I, I think all of us we can we can place our identities in in different things other than than God, right? And I think even as disciples of Jesus, we can fall into this trap of identifying with things other than the kingdom of Jesus. So what our focus is going to be today is that we're going to be examining the nature and character of Jesus. Amen. Right? We love Jesus. We look to him for our example. But then how Jesus understood his identity in the kingdom of God and what that led him to do. Him understanding his identity, what that led him to do, what action he needed to do in response to that identity. Uh, So we're going to look at how Jesus understood his identity and how we need to understand our kingdom identity as well, and how we need to follow what Christ did after that. Amen? You guys with me? So before we dig into the scripture, let's, let's bow our head forward to prayer. Amen? Father, you are good, and you are powerful. And I pray that you can be with us during this time as we as you read your scriptures. Um, I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit can, can speak to through me, and can speak to the congregation this morning. I pray they can put me completely aside. I'm but just dust on the ground, but I'm your servant. I pray that you can use me to be able to edify the church with your word, not what I say, um, but by your scriptures alone. But Lord, I love you, and I pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church, turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 13, if you haven't already, verse 1 to 5. Let's read it together. Verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So, this is happening right before this big Jewish Passover uh, festival. And Jesus, he's, he's eating dinner with his guys, his some of his closest friends, the, the guys that he spent three years with, um, going town to town doing ministry. And Jesus, according to the scriptures, knew that his hour had come, meaning that he knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. That his ministry on earth was coming to a close. He knew it. But now I can't, I can't help but think, okay, what was Jesus feeling in this scenario? Okay, knowing that this was going to be his last meal on earth. And that he was going to die. Not even just die, but die an excruciating death on a cross. In addition to that, knowing that one of his friends, one of his guys that he, he invested in, Judas, right? Judas is going to betray him. Him understanding that, him knowing that, man, Judas is going to betray me. And that same dude, Judas, is eating at the same table as him, drinking communing with him. What would would I be feeling? Because I'd be feeling a mixture of emotions. I'd be feeling angry like, Judas, you you have the audacity to sit at the same table as me knowing what you're going to do to me? How dare you? I'd be feeling angry. But not only that, I'd be feeling anxious and, and fearful of my coming death. So Jesus was feeling, probably feeling all these mixtures of emotions. But let's see what Jesus did in response. It's all this different stuff. So let's pick up again in verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now verse 3. This is what this is Jesus' mindset. His focus is in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You know, this is this was so powerful to me when I read this. 
Because you think about it, out of the millions of things that Jesus must have been thinking about in this scenario, his focus wasn't on Judas. His focus wasn't on the dinner. His focus wasn't on the fact that he was going to die. His focus was on his identity in the kingdom. His focus was who he was in the eyes of God. His kingdom identity. But let's, let's read it again, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under power, his power. So first, God, Jesus knew that he was the Son of God, the Messiah. And two, that he had come from God and was returning to God. And you see, that's, that's that last half of the scripture. That's what I really want to focus on. He had come from God and was returning to God. He knew his identity. And church, this is our identity as citizens of God's kingdom. Like in, in the grand scheme of things, you think about just what it is to be a Christian. In the big picture of it all, at the end of the day, we are children of God, we come from God, and that we are going to return to Him one day. This is in our DNA. This is our identity as disciples of Christ. But you see, it's easy to forget our identity. It's easy to forget these two truths of who we are as Christians. But Jesus, He understood His identity, which means we need to understand ours as well. You guys with me? So my first of two points is this, our identity. And we're going to break down this idea of coming from God and returning to Him. Okay, so coming from God. Let's focus on that real quick. Coming from God. So for those of you who don't know, I am Indonesian. I'm Indonesian. My mom and, and dad were raised in, uh, in Indonesia. And uh, my, my dad, when he was 18 years old, he, he immigrated to the United States um, to, to work and support his family back in, in the motherland. You know, my family back back in the day were, were just not doing well. They were really poor. So that's why my dad came, just to work and support them out there. And then a couple of years after, he went back to Indonesia to ask or to get my mom's hand in marriage. So they got married in Indonesia. And then my dad took her back to the United States. And then bing, bang, boom, out comes my brother, my sister, and then yours truly. And we've been here uh, ever since, and all of us are citizens of of uh, the United States of America. But church, I love my culture. I love being Indonesian, and I'm gonna kind of educate you a little bit on some of the uh, intricacies of the Indonesian culture, uh, in hopes that you uh, learn something, but also see that Indonesian are actually pretty cool. And I hope that you kind of like me a little better after <laughs> after this. So. Um, but I, I couldn't go on without talking about the Indonesian culture without talking about one of my favorite foods, and that is rundown. So here's a picture of it. Rundown gets like this super delicious like uh, beef uh, beef dish, and there's like this brown sauce on it, and uh, it's super savory, and it's very herby and um, and spicy too, and and usually eat it with white rice. But in this picture, uh, if you notice, the, the rice is actually yellow. It's called nasi kuning, yellow rice. And uh, But yeah, it is just rundang is so good. It is delicious. And it's one of my favorite foods. And if you have not tried this Indonesian dish, please do so. There's an awesome Indonesian restaurant in Rancho Cucamonga called Java Bistro. Um, but then also, contact my mom and dad, Naomi, Yodi. Um, my mom makes an amazing 
rundown dish. Um, so, you know, hit her up, and I'm, I'm sure she'd love to, to treat you out a little bit. But rundown, I love, I love the food, though. The food of Indonesia is so delicious. But another part of Indonesian culture that I really love is, uh, is the, the clothing. There's a traditional garment called batik. So here's a picture of my family and us. My family and, and I, we, we took uh, uh, some family pictures at the beginning of this year, and we all wore batik. We all had matching um, batik clothes. And um, if you look closely, you can just see, like, um, the intricacies and, you know, how detailed these, these, this piece of clothing is. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I don't think this picture really does it justice, but if you go on Google and you look at batik, like, there are some intricate, beautiful designs. From a church, I love, I love my culture. It's a part of who I am. And all of us have cultures that we are part of. Things that you grew up doing, or, or food like me that you grew up around, that you love, like Rundan. Or even philosophies of life or ways of living that were instilled in you by your parents or your grandparents or your uncles or your aunts. And our culture is so important to us. You know, but when the scriptures teach that we come from God, right, it doesn't take away our culture, right? I'm not any less of an Indonesian because I'm a disciple of Jesus, right? Jesus, he came from God, but it didn't mean that he was any less of a Jew. Jesus knew he was a Jew, and he understood that this was part of his culture, and he loved his culture. You see, what Jesus, I believe, he was what he was most proud of, what he was most consumed by was the fact that he was the son of God. That he, that he knew that, that he came from God, that that was at the core of his being. In John chapter 1 verse 12 to 13, it says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of, get this, natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. You know, church, as, as Christians, as people who make Jesus the Lord of their life, we are first and foremost children of the Most High God. And as Christians, it doesn't matter where you were born, what culture you were a part of, or the color of your skin, we all come from God. We are all His children. This is, this is who we are. But what I see, especially today, is that the world is trying to divide us. And Satan is is trying to do everything he can to disunify not only our country, but disunify the church. And I really feel we've been identifying with the systems of this world, believing that true change comes by, you have to to choose a side. And it's not even just with race or culture, but you think about, are you identifying just with your political party, or, or who you are voting for, or your socioeconomic status, or if you're a citizen of America, or you immigrated here from another country, that we can identify with these different things when God is just left here saying, I want you to identify as me, with me. I want you to know that you come from me, that you are my child. This is part of who we are, church, that we are first. And foremost, children of God. Is this part of your kingdom identity? Okay, so that was the concept of come from God. But now let's, let's go on to the second part of the scripture. That we will return to God. You with me? We will return to God. You know, our time on earth is limited. And I think all of us kind of understand that. At least like at an intellectual level. 
And Jesus, he, he knew the fact, the fact that he, his time on earth was limited. Right? The scripture we just read, he, he said his hour, he knew his hour had come. He knew his time on earth was coming to an end. But we will return to God one day. You know, church, part of who we are as citizens of God's kingdom is understanding that this world is not our home. This world is, is not our home. My my father-in-law, he uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, Renee Iram. And here's a, here's a picture of us. That's me, my wife, Lois. We were dating at the time. And then there's Renee. And this was us at his, at his last birthday party. And Renee, he, he, he had liver cancer. And he really battled against it for um, for a while. And for those of you who know him, though, he, man, Renee was a faithful, faithful man. Incredible man. And he lived a faithful life. He, he, he's the one that started up the Indian Empire Filipino ministry um, with, with his wife, Evelyn. And not only that, but he, he brought his four children from the Philippines to America. So a completely new culture, a completely new way of life. And all four of them are faithful disciples of Jesus. He made an impact on this world. You know, I, I believe, though, that Rene, he understood that he was first and foremost a child of God. But I think most importantly, he understood that this world was not his home, that heaven was. Uh, the, the theme scripture that Rene held on to, especially during his last few months, was in Philippians chapter 1. I want to share it with you. And this, this scripture is actually um, on the little plate where his ashes are uh, over there in Forest Lawn in West Covina. Um, so you can see it right next to his picture. Um, but he, he held on to this scripture extremely tight, especially during his last few months on earth. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it reads, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Rene understood that this life on earth was precious, and we got to live it for Christ. But he also understood that heaven was his home. That his true citizenship was in heaven. Church, our identity as Christians is in our DNA that we it should be built on this fact that we are citizens of heaven. That if we are faithful, we get to spend eternity in heaven where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more politics, no more racism, no more inequality, no more COVID-19, no more insecurity, no more death. If we're faithful, we, we have this hope of heaven that we could cling to. That we could be excited about. Are we living in light of this eternity? Because when we see that our hope is in heaven, the stuff that's going on right now don't seem as big anymore. The trials and the tribulations that is going on in our lives and in our country. But this is who we are. This is what it, what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. We need to know that we come from God and that we will return to him one day. Jesus understood this identity in John chapter 13. He knew he was going to die. He, he knew who he, was, who he was. He knew he was going to be betrayed, but he was so consumed with the fact that he, he came from God and that he will return to him one day. You with me, church? This is our kingdom 
identity. But now my second point, my last point. So what? That's what it's called. So what? Because I think a lot of times we can feel like, all right, we have this theme identity, but what are we supposed to do with it? Are we supposed to do nothing? Are we supposed to do nothing in this world? Because if our home is in heaven, then what's the point? You know, what I love about Jesus is that he was a man of action. And it's him understanding his identity led him to do. So let's continue reading. Let's pick up again in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, okay, so let's pause right there. That word so is crucial. So important. Because this so is the same thing as, as, as the scripture saying therefore or, or for that reason. So if you read it again, and he knew he had come from God and was returning to God, so therefore, because of this, because of Jesus understanding his identity, he did this. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So what did Jesus do in response to him understanding his kingdom identity? He got on his knees in humility. And washed his disciples' feet. King Jesus, the Messiah, the, the, the creator of the heavens and the universe, universe stooped down to the level of a servant and washed his disciples' feet. You know, when we, when we truly understand our identity in God's kingdom, we see that the biggest impact we can make it's through being a person of love. Because contrary to popular belief, being a Christian doesn't mean we have to live in this bubble. Right? That we gotta go put on a robe and some sandals, go live up on a mountain separate from the world because the world is sinful and broken, that we, we have to do, have nothing to do with the world because it's so messed up. But the reality is the, the opposite is true according to what Jesus did in this scripture, in this passage. If you truly understand your kingdom identity, if you're so consumed with the fact that you come from God and that you will return to him, to him one day, the only response you should have is to go and to love, to serve. To love people the way that Jesus did. And, and the relevance of this story is just, it's so mind-boggling because of the stuff that's happening in the, in the world. The implications of, of, of this act that Jesus did. Because Jesus, he loved his disciples in this moment by washing their feet. But how is God calling you to love in 2020? In the midst of pandemic. In the midst of political division. In the midst of social injustice. How is God calling you to love? Who is God calling you to serve, to give to? Who is God calling you to reach out to? And this isn't just your cliche type of love. The love that we hear about in, in churches across the United States, right? This is not an easy type of love because you think about what Jesus did. The primary mode of transportation back in the day was walking, was feet. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and people would walk to where they needed to go. And they would walk on dirt roads 
And not only just walk on dirt roads, but walk in sandals. So you can imagine these dudes' feet were not, were not clean. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, and again, it wasn't like a salon where today where we have all the soaps and the scrubs and stuff, like Jesus just got on his knees with a towel. And he washed these guys' feet. And this was, this was not an easy task for Jesus to do, but yet he did it anyway. He put himself aside and did it anyway. True love, the, the love that Jesus teaches. True love means giving it even when it's hard. That's the love that Jesus is calling us to do today. Even when every fiber in your being is telling you don't love, you cannot love, are you willing to do it anyway? Because what's really mind-blowing to me is that Jesus washed Judas's feet too. Judas, the guy who will later betray him, essentially his murderer. Who had him over, handed him over to the Pharisees. Judas. Imagine what it was like when Jesus was washing this guy's feet, knowing what he knew. Washing the feet of his own murderer, the, the guy that sold him out. He washed his feet. And rather than harnessing bitterness or anger or resentment toward him, he loved him. Isn't, isn't, isn't that crazy? That's so crazy to me. Do you have a Judas in your life? I think everyone has a Judas in their life. But who's who's your Judas? Someone who you genuinely feel like I just I just can't love that person. It's impossible. Someone who just just thinks different than differently than you. Someone who who votes differently than you. Someone who's going for the Heat instead of the Lakers in <laughs> the playoffs. I'm just kidding. But you think about who's your Judas? Who's that person for you? Someone who has different opinions than you. But I have a question I want to ask. If Jesus was willing to wash his murderer's feet, what excuse do you have to withhold your love? <laughs> what excuse do we have? And I read that, I'm like, oh man, I'm a loser. Like I can't, I can't even love. Someone who annoys me a little bit. How, how am I supposed to love someone who was going to murder me or betray me? That, that's just so crazy to me. But that is that is the, just the love of Jesus right there. And that's why I'm in love with Jesus. Because he just sets the bar so high and I look at him like, oh my gosh. What an amazing man to follow. What an amazing leader that we have in Jesus. Don't we, church? And the world, the country feels like we need... We need this leader when Jesus is our perfect leader. And I look at him like, thank God for Jesus. Thank God that we have Jesus. Who's so perfect in love. Gosh, do I want to imitate him. And church, we need to imitate Jesus. Because he is the answer. Who are you willing to love? Who are you willing to love? Church, I really hope that the scriptures edified you this morning. That the scriptures spoke to you. And I, I could care less about what I said. I just pray that this scripture, that Jesus' act just totally inspired you. That the Holy Spirit inspired you through the scriptures this morning. So I really want to challenge us. 
to remember our kingdom identity. We need to remember who we are, that we come from God, and that we return to God. And when we understand that, when we truly understand our identity, we need to go and we need to love like Jesus did. But really important, we must not forget the greatest example of love in the history of mankind, in the history of the world, the greatest act of love is what Jesus did on the cross. By his blood, our past, present, and future sin is forgiven. And we all get this opportunity to enter a new life if we put our faith in him. So right now, we're going we're gonna to take some time for the communion. And as we eat the bread and we drink the juice, let us not only remember our identity in God's kingdom, but let us remember the immense love Christ demonstrated at Calvary. Amen. Let's bow our heads forward to prayer. Father, I am blown away by your love. I'm blown away by Jesus and him understanding his identity led him to serve, to give, and to ultimately die on the cross for our sin. God, I know that we don't deserve it. I know that in our flesh we are sinful and deserve death. But God, thank you for Jesus and his immense love for us. And I pray that, yes, we remember our kingdom identity. And we remember that we come from you and that we will return to you one day. But help us also know that we need to make an impact on this world through love. But Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. In your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.